Good morning. My name is McLean Murphy, and uh, for those of you in the room, those of you online, welcome to First Press Tampa on this beautiful fall Sunday morning. So if you're new around here, you may not know that we have been on a spiritual and physical journey for four years. Four years ago at our home in downtown Tampa on 412 Zach Street, we had a knock on the door from a man named Noah offering to buy our property. And four years later, we're here. And in those four years, our church, our people, you, in faithfulness and obedience and listening to God, said, yes, God, we're going to follow you where you're leading us. And I just wanted to celebrate a couple of things that happened this week alone from that faithful yes. See, we said we want to be at a place and a location that God can use us for our good, for the good of the city of Tampa, and for his glory. So let me tell you one thing that happened here this week. One thing that happened is that a Girl Scout troop had their very first meeting here on our campus. Those girls laughed and had fun and ran around, and a couple of moms volunteered and made it possible. Let me tell you something else that happened here this week. Capernaum, which is Young Life's ministry to 14 to 22-year-olds with intellectual and developmental disabilities. They hosted their very first meeting for this school year. So while parents met in one room with the director, nine students, nine Capernaum students and leaders met in another room and got to know each other, talked about Halloween, played some games together. That all happened on this campus. And then tonight, outside, hundreds of people are going to fill this parking lot for Trunk or Treat. We're going to have candy, face painting, dinner provided by Creative Cuisine. All because four years ago, someone knocked on our door. But it was God who initiated the entire thing. And look where we are. Look what we get to be a part of. It's amazing, and it's exciting, and it's just the beginning. Fitz later on. Fitz is clapping. Let's clap about that. Let's clap about what God has done. Fitz is going to give an update later on um, with what's going on um, next door, when we're going to break ground, all that stuff, just the latest. But I just wanted to celebrate where we are right now. And the same thing is the case in our life. If God has started something inside of you, if God is initiating something inside of you, my prayer is that you would, in faithfulness and obedience, say yes to where he is taking you. That in faithfulness and obedience, you would get ready for an adventure, because that's what our church has been on, and that's what he wants to do inside of your life. Um, if you are around tonight, and you're just hanging out at home, you're not where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be on this campus for Trunk or Treat. If you have a family with little kids, throw on a Halloween costume and come through here. My daughter Maggie, she's five. She's been telling everyone, it's free. You don't even have to pay. She's so excited about that because we were going to make her pay for it. I don't even know. But it's free, and you don't even have to pay. And so bring your friends. We want the neighbors to come. And if you're an adult, just show up. Just show up for the fun. You don't have to go trick-or-treating. But just this is going to be the place to be. You're just going to want to be here. It's from 4.30 to 6.30. We cannot wait for just another opportunity for God to use this space. Let me pray for us this morning. God, thank you that you invited us onto a huge journey four years ago, and we are seeing the fruit of it, Lord. We're seeing the way that you're using our space. And so, God, I pray over this Girl Scout troop. I pray over the ministry of Capernaum. I pray over Trunk or Treat tonight, Jesus, um, that when people walk into these doors, that when they're on this campus, Lord, that they would feel drawn to you. But God, I also pray for the things going on in our individual lives and in our hearts, the journeys that you're beginning inside of us. Maybe some of us have become awakened to you, Jesus, for the very first time. Maybe some of us feel a call into a particular area that you're asking us to serve. I don't know what you're doing in each person's life this morning, but God, you are a God who is always at work, and so you're at work in our lives, and I pray that we would open our eyes, that we would say yes, and we would go on the journey that you've called us. Lord, we have people who are a part of this church who are on our hearts and minds. We pray for our dear friend, Catherine Ryan, who should be up here singing, 
But, Lord, she had her uh, appendix removed this morning in an emergency surgery. And, God, we thank you that it was a successful surgery. Lord, we pray for her recovery. We pray that, um, Lord, you would just take care of her in these days to come. And thank you for the doctors who took such good care of her. Lord, we also pray over our dear friend, Arthur Lastra, his brother, Bobby, Lord, who has Alzheimer's, who has a a brain bleed. God, just these days towards the end of his life that are so hard, God, that are so overwhelming for this family, Lord, for his wife. Jesus, I pray that in their sorrow, I pray that in their loss, I pray that in their grief, I pray that in the way that they are feeling overwhelmed, that Jesus, you would be a safe place to land, that you would be the person who carries them through this, that Lord, you would comfort them through these days. God, thank you for every single person in this room. Thank you for the ways that you are drawing them to yourself. Jesus name. Amen. If you're new here, we would love to meet you and get to know you. The best way you can do that is by filling out a connect card. You can scan the QR code. You can grab a paper form uh, to fill it out and place it in the generosity box. We want to meet you and get to know you. Thanks. Even yesterday when I was with teenagers serving the homeless in downtown Tampa, One of the teenagers, who's a senior at plant, her name is Livy, said, your grandson invited me to this thing called Trunk or Treat at your church. He handed me a flyer and said, you need to invite your friends. So we're all coming. I couldn't even believe he did that. That's the beauty of what Rachel Godin is doing next door, just firing up those little ones to spread the word. I want you to hear this this morning. Thank God for your gift too wonderful for words. You know who said it first? Scripture tells us that when the people, the church in Jerusalem and their community was in the middle of a devastating famine, over a thousand miles away, the people in the church at Corinth sent financial aid to help them. Thank God for your gift, too wonderful for words is also what the people in the church in Cape Coral, Florida said. Upon receiving your gift last Sunday morning of hurricane supplies, you can see that you filled a trailer and two truck beds full of diapers, wipes, water, pillows, and more, so much more. And all of it arrived at Faith Presbyterian Church while we were right here together during worship. Their pastor is a friend of ours. You can see her in the black dress. And she told me that even though their community was completely devastated and that the church sustained over $2 million worth of damage, that the church is not a building. And the church is not a one-hour worship service. We are the church. And the people of Faith Presbyterian Church in Cape Coral, Florida, asked me to tell you that you, First Press Church, are a living demonstration of the love of Jesus for them right now. And that's why this is not a one-and-done. Because let's keep filling truckloads and trailers full of supplies, full of our love, and ready hands to shovel out muck and debris from homes. Let's keep going back. Let's keep walking with them like the church in Corinth did for the church in Jerusalem, loving their communities like that. So you can express your compassion and give back to God by going on our website and saying, hey, I'm in with this Hurricane Ian relief effort. It can be anything from helping staff when we load up supplies to going with us when we're mucking homes. Or you can also express your gratitude and your compassion by giving back to God using one of these six ways, one of these six platforms to express your love and the love of Jesus. And then you and I get to watch as God restores a community, including our own, as he transforms lives and brings new hope. We get to watch all of that. 
And as we are talking about them this morning, as we are praying for them this morning, they are in worship right now thanking God for you. That's what they're doing. Saying, thank you, God, for this gift that is too wonderful for words. You are that gift that is too wonderful for words. Our worship is not just defined by the hour that we spend together each Sunday. It's not just the songs that we sing together. Rather, it is what we spend our time meditating on. It is who we make the focus of our lives. It is who and what we allow to consume us every day. And the world teaches us to lean on the reports of experts, economists, doctors, philosophers, and the greatest of all, ourselves. But in Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, it says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. You know, in the seasons where it feels like the path may be unpaved and unclear, and maybe some of us feel that um, today and are in that season, but let us take this time to adjust our posture and lean on the everlasting arms of our Heavenly Father as we sing together and stand and sing this new song.
I like that image of that rocket taking off. That's what we've been working on. We get involved in living and loving. We love God. God loves us. We love God's people. We live with God's people. We have life going on. We have love going on. And what happens is we get launched. And so already this morning, two or three really cool things have been mentioned that are launch of our engagement, your engagement, and addressing people's needs. Katie Kale creating a Girl Scout troop. One of us using our building to make a difference that matters. Lumpy Leveroni and others doing Young Life Capernaum. Kids 14 to 22 with developmental, intellectual, and physical, uh, whatever the right word is. What, what, disabilities, thank you. So we are folks finding ways to do stuff here. And so what we're doing is launching this property, and we wanted to give you a brief update, but we're going first to the first image, which we've called FP. We call all of this FP 2.0. That's First Pres 2.0. We're getting close to First Pres 2.1. No, two, yeah, 2. Point, yeah, that's right, 2.1. So what 2.1 is going to be is the launch of the thing going up out of the ground. But notice what we've been doing here. We've been praying and waiting and praying and waiting. Why? Because our experience having a home is going to be this for us. If you'll let me use kind of religious sounding language. Can I? We're going to feel like we've been blessed. That means somehow God is penetrating every aspect of our life and influencing our life. That's what the word means. So, But you know what? God never does that unless he wants us to then pass it on. So what we're going to do is we're going to love other people really well. And the goal is that they encounter Jesus Christ. There are people who don't know yet that they're loved. Some of them may show up today with their kids trunk or treating. And they may sense the warmth of our family and they may come back and check us out. And you're going to be postured relationally. And it's about this. It's about FP 2.0 is about our building so we can be God's people out in the community. And we can park cars and have Girl Scouts and we can have Capernaum and we can have events where even subtly or overtly it's about the people doing the events who are us who use this place to make cool stuff happen. How about that? Is that good? That's really good. So we're going to keep doing this and we're going to keep praying and we're going to keep talking about praying because who is your one? There's somebody far from God, but close to you. And we're going to be intentional about loving them naturally really well. And the next thing you know, our relationship is going to be a bridge. And maybe this building will help them begin to sense that God is alive in the world and wants to love them. So that's that. But I wanted to give you a, a few details about the building. So the image is going to come up. There's the building. That's what we're going to build. It'll look mostly like that. I mean, these beautiful design people, some of you are in the room or some of you are online, are making it look good and the finishes and the sconces and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what they do. They just get together and meet and they come up with cool stuff and they have a budget. <laughs> so what's happening is this. Just We are going to send you a big mailing when the, what I'm about to tell you is going to happen happens, but just an update because lots of people said, Fitz, what's up with this thing? Obviously you've said it. So here's what's up. The city of Tampa is what's up. <laughs> so what that means is this. You want to build a building? Great. Back in March, we got all of the approvals for the variances. That's just what happens. You always have them. And then we were designing what we wanted. We wrote it all up, on, and the engineers and electricians and the plumbers and the HVAC people, all those did their plans, and off to the city they went about five or six or seven weeks ago. The city took about 33, 34, 35 days, and what they do is they put red ink on it, right? They go, no, 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 right, and they send it back to you. And that happened. And then we got our pens and pencils out and talked to them, and we fixed it all. And that went back to them. So now we're waiting. And this Tuesday, pray, <laughs> there's a meeting this Tuesday of sort of the bosses of the people in the permit department. So what happens is they're going to, we hope on Tuesday, get it all done. Then it'll come back to us and then back to them. And I think there's a chance, I hate to, I, I'm going to be quoted if I say a date. <laughs> I think there's a chance that by maybe by the end of this month, maybe a week into November, they say, green light, go. And then what will happen, a construction fence will go up around all of this stuff. We'll be able to get in and out on Sundays to use the parking over here, most of the parkings. We may lose some. And then, then they're going to start building our new buildings. And that's what it's going to look like. <laughs> now, here's the other thing. You're going to say to me, Fitz, how long is it going to take them? And I'm going to give you an answer, and you're going to be cynical and say, there's no way. Ten months. Go ahead. No way. Online. Online people. Go ahead. Type it in if you want to make a comment. There ain't no way, and you can say ain't. 
but here's what David Lennon, who is the point person, owner of the company, McCullough and Scott, they just simply seem to get it done in the time they say they're going to get done. So, you, yeah, it may not be 10 months, but dadgummit, I want it to be by September so we can get the new semester started. There ain't no way we're doing Thanksgiving next year in here. We're doing it in the air. You know what I'm saying? So, anyhow, how's that? We good? Yeah, that's good. So, we're going to launch in a totally different way. We've been talking about generosity couple of three examples of it this morning that have to do with money. We've been talking about money. And what I've tried to say is we got to get comfortable. You talk about money every day, everywhere. I talk about it every day, everywhere. And we want to be able to talk about it as a church family. And I, I promise you, I'm not fundraising. I don't want nothing from you. But God wants a lot for us, a ton for us. And what we've been trying to say is an understanding the fullness of what it means to be loved by God are all of our lives open up in response to God's love. But let me use myself as a developmental example, if I might. You ready? So this takes me back to my childhood in St. Augustine, Florida, the oldest city in the United States, oldest permanent establishment in the United States, raised in the Episcopal Church, Trinity Episcopal Church, downtown St. Augustine. My mom and dad were divorced at the time, so my single mom took us to church every week. So let me stop and repeat that. My mom took us to church every week, not missing a week. And the Episcopal Church had things called acolytes. That's where kids dress up and they help. They carry crosses, they carry candles. Just to not be bored. Church was boring. Oh, now, I, I don't hold that. I didn't then. I don't now hold that against God. I just didn't understand anything that was going on. And I mean, I was bored out of my mind, but I was a good boy and I went. Had to go. Did I mention I had to go every single week? <laughs> I am, you think I'm kidding. I'm not exaggerating. It was every week. Finally, I broke that. I just, I was 15. And then my mother would say, my dad had come back into the picture. They were married, but he really had, wasn't yet able to sort of influence us too much. My mom has said, if you don't go to church, you can't go surfing. And you know what I did? Walked out the door, went to the beach. Never went back to church. Game, set, match. Just a rebellious teenager. And she had to pick her fights, so she didn't fight me about it. Anyway, back to me being about sixth grade. Had to go to church every week and had to give money. So here's what I, I duped my mother. So... You're not going to believe these numbers, but it was something like she had nothing, but she still, I think, gave me five bucks a month for an allowance. So you can do 10% of five bucks. That's 50 cents. And if you go to church every week, that's a dime. Guess what I could do for a dime? Right across the street from our church, I could go into McCartney's Drugstore. It was a little mom-and-pop place right there. They had a lunch counter. And at the, at the lunch counter, they made their own fresh powdered donut. So when you bit into it, it had a little crunch. And then you get a little Coca-Cola next to it with some cherry syrup dumped into it, a dime and a penny tax, 11 cents. I did not put my money in the plate. I, my mom would send us. I'd sneak out of the Sunday school and go across the street in McCartney's and eat my donut and drink my cherry Coke and then get inside the sanctuary in time to dress out and be an extra in the acolyte. I, I didn't resent God, but I certainly didn't want to be giving my money at the church. I was going next door and eating donuts. I didn't do that every week. I was, not, I was dumb, but not that dumb. So <laughs> fast forward to my first job. So I had become a follower of Jesus as an 18-year-old, explicitly said, okay, you want me, I'm yours. I'm 18 years old, sitting on a rock outside of a building at the Young Life property called Windy Cap in North Carolina. I had graduated from high school. I was in, instructed or invited, as I invite you today, to say to Jesus, I, I'm yours. You want to have a relationship with me? Great. I want to have one with you. I, you love me? I, all of that. I did all of that. Sat on the rock. For fast four more years later, I had my first job. It's a trainee learning to do young life. Guess how much money I made? 500 bucks a month. Big time, huh? <laughs> 500 bucks a month. And the very first paycheck, because I wanted to please God and my boss, who was my mentor, I gave 50 of it away. Got, I, now, that's, that's if you can do the math, 50 bucks is 10% of 500. So he said, I said, how much am I supposed to give away, Lester? And he said, 10%. I said, all right. And I found cool stuff to sort of give money to, little five and 10 bucks a month to things. And I was just, but what, what happened is I drifted out of it. 
Now, watch this. The pay scales were odd in those days. You can't do this anymore. When we got married, I got a huge raise to $935 a month. Kathy and I had $935. Now, she had, no, you didn't have a job. You were still in college. Your dad was paying for you. <laughs> Pops, hope you're listening. <laughs> We drift, I drifted away. We drifted away. It wasn't like I didn't want to be generous. It's just life started happening. And next thing you know, I wasn't paying attention to percentages. And that's okay. I'm not, I wasn't trying, I'm not trying to be legalistic. But I just slowly slipped. So that less and less percentage-wise. So I think proportionally, just less and less. And then about 10 years ago, I got born again. Right here in the First Presbyterian Church family. And the people in this church who were generous were talking about it. And I was listening, and the next thing you know, I started experimenting with proportionality. And so Kathy and I are now enjoying the same way when I was 22 and had 500 bucks. So it's not about how much. It's about how much. It's, about, it's not about how much I have, and it's not about how much you have. It's about trusting God. That's what it is. It's about we, we have what we have, and we trust God, and we just, and that I, I can't, it's just so great. Like I, when I was 22, I feel like a kid. Because I have these cool things that I think are so vital. And I get to give, I get to be a part of it. And the people on the other side, they need my money. Now, I, I, I think I'm not a, a game changer because I don't have that kind of money. I, but I give, and people appreciate me being their partner in their mission. And I go out of my way where, I'm, where we're giving, and Kathy does too, to say, it's not just give money. It's connecting, engaging and doing the best I can to know the people and to understand their mission and to contribute in something more than just money. So that's a little bit of my story. And I think all of it is just to say that in response to being loved and forgiven, the next thing I know, I find it just a great joy to be able to do this. And for me, the discipline of proportionality has really mattered. And I've really enjoyed that. It's out of, it is really, it's what God wants from us. God wants us to enjoy being able to be generous with everything in life, with our talents, our passions. It's what's so powerful about the imagery going down to Cape Coral. Tim Glisson put that thing together. He built the extra rack on his trailer. He's really good with tools in his hands. He knows how to fix things, and he's willing to do it, and he just gets organized. And then Tom Berry, the same thing. And you saw Jeff Mitchell in the picture, and you saw some of us out here collecting. If you had asked me to build that railing around Tim's trailer, we'd be here in 2026. <laughs> So giving what we have to give to make things different, and it always has to include our financial stuff. And that's what we've been kicking around. And today's the third and last week we're doing it. And so I want to go talk for a minute today about a woman who just gets overwhelmed with the love of God. This is a great story. I want you to enjoy it with me. So here we are, Luke chapter 7. And this is a story, I'm going to read it through, and I'm going to tell you some really important details about it. Just reminding you of a couple of things. We're in Jerusalem, and everyone in the story is Jewish. And everyone in the story is a part of this Jewish culture, which includes their, their religion and their understanding of God, and their understanding of what it means to be people who are connected to God. Whether they're doing a good job of it or not is sort of secondary. But here they are, all these Jewish people in Jerusalem, and there are people who are rulers, and we're going to hear about one of the rulers. He's called, it's his, his ruling group is called a Pharisee. So here we are. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, that is behind Jesus, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman is. She is a sinner. Jesus, a Pharisee, and an unnamed woman. Three main characters. Lots of other people 
Okay, let's first understand Simon the Pharisee. So Pharisees, most of them were hardliners. Some, however, were open. And so it appears that Simon is going to give Jesus a fair hearing. He's not completely opposed to him yet. They understood, the Pharisees, most of them, that Jesus was a real threat. But Simon apparently wanted to know more. Apparently, at first anyway, he was open to hearing Jesus. And this is what he knew about Jesus. He had heard about him. And he knew that Jesus was a teacher and that this teacher was drawing great crowds. Everybody knew that. But here's the other thing that Simon the Pharisee, the, the person with a knowledge of God and Israel and the history of Israel and everything it means to be a Jewish person, he heard people talking about Jesus and they'd use the word prophet about Jesus. So a prophet would be a great figure, a leader. And when, when Jesus was being talked about as a prophet, what comes up in Simon's mind and everybody else's mind is sort of the Mount Rushmore of great prophets in Israel. Number one on the list, Moses. Another one, Elijah. And so Simon hears people talking about Jesus, and they call him prophet, and now people are thinking, is he one like in that category? And people were saying yes. So Simon wants to know what Jesus is about. He seems to be at first. He seems to be open. Something about the architecture of their homes to understand this and their customs and a little bit about furniture. You ready? So Simon probably lived on the north side of the temple in Jerusalem where affluent people would have lived. These Pharisees had a good gig going. They made a good living. They were well-to-do. You'd call them upper middle class, maybe even upper class. And their homes were very different than ours because of, because of the nature of the temperatures. They'd have lots of open window-like areas, open dining areas open to the outside with walls, half walls, etc. And the way it worked is a well-to-do person would have an open kind of house like that and a courtyard. And it was the custom when you threw a party, you would cook extra food because poor people, hungry people, beggars, passers-by would come into your courtyard and it was totally accustomed to just sort of give them food. You prepared food on purpose knowing that everybody could get there and they could see and hear what was going on. So that's, that's what's going on there. In other words, as we read, when the woman is there and she's crying on Jesus' feet, she's not, she didn't break in. That's not a B&E going on. She, she was just walking in and, and people would have walked in regularly. So that's that. And so furniture. Another interesting thing about this, it, it, the word in the English translation says reclined at table. That's because the table would have been U-shaped and low to the ground, and people literally reclined. They would lean on their left elbow, and their feet would be back behind them, and they would eat with the right hand. Right? So that what, the woman is not crawling under a table. She's at the feet of Jesus and the feet of the next guy. Or, and next, so it's a, a U-shaped table with a bunch of feet sticking out. So that's what you need to understand about her. And what in she comes. She's unnamed. She's also uninvited. And we heard that she was a sinner. Well, that's code for what you might guess it might be. That, that at least that was her reputation. So here's what happens. This woman comes in, and she is uninvited, but she's definitely intentional. She is determined. She has an expensive jar of perfume or some kind of ointment. And people in those days didn't take showers every day. So if you walked, your feet would be dirty, maybe smelly. And so the ointment was a hospitality thing, but also it was expensive, this stuff was. And she's going to get it on Jesus' feet. That's her intent. But something happens. Look at her. She's overcome. Wow. She's weeping. And her tears are falling on his feet before she can get the lid off the jar. And in an effort to try to make things better, she makes them worse. What does she do? She lets down her hair. Friends, in that culture, in that setting, this, and it was perceived this way by Simon, was an act of human intimacy. No woman would ever let her hair down in public, and certainly not around men. She can't control herself. She's sobbing, and she gets her hair and her tears and wipes her tears off his feet. 
And then finally, she was able to do what she came for, which was to open the jar and let some of that out onto his feet. What's going on with her? She's so profoundly moved by having been forgiven the unbelievable grace of Jesus. Forgiveness and love. Her response to him is a launching of her love in return for having been loved. She explodes with gratitude. She can't control herself. She is just going to give him everything she has. She's all in, overcome with gratitude. It's fantastic. It's oh so good. Let yourself identify with this woman. Man, there she is. It's a surprising grace for everybody. Simon doesn't get it. He moves from being maybe open to Jesus to judging both Jesus and the woman. She's a sinner. If you really were anything, you'd know it. But look at her and look at Jesus. Wow. She is a brand new person. And she's been made over again new. And her behavior, her lavish behavior, is a response. And she can't wait to respond to him and express her gratitude and her love back. And that's what she does. And that's how he takes it. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't take her response the way Simon does as a totally inappropriate, almost erotic set of behaviors. That's not how Jesus takes it. He takes it as her love for him. And she's grateful. And she needs forgiving. And so do I. And so do you. And again, it's not about how much. Jesus is interested in our motivation. Generosity is about attitude. It's not about an amount. And this woman's attitude is overwhelmingly, radically generous. She just goes, here. She's fantastic. I want to be like her. I want you to want to be like her. That's what God wants us to want to be like, to be radically responsive because we're so deeply, profoundly grateful. Had a brief conversation with a dear, sweet sister in this room this very morning, and our little conversation was, what kind of thing, big or little, has God done about which in your life recently? And she's in tears, and she says, I'm just grateful for my life. And we sat and we sort of had tears together. Grateful to be alive. Right now, this morning, that just happened. It wasn't because she knew I was talking about here. That's not it at all. It just happened because we had this little exercise. Pre-game. It's how we did pre-game this morning. If you're wondering what we do, we do cool stuff like that. You and I get to see this woman now and see ourselves the way Jesus sees her, the way Jesus sees you, the way Jesus sees me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And life starts to come alive and it's life, and it's love, and it's all like this, and then whew, the launch part is really cool. Like, like, a, like a shot out of a cannon is what it's like. So just a little bit, just a couple of ideas about, about money per se. This is not about the tax code. In the West, in the United States, if we give money away, and it's a not-for-profit or a church or something like that, we get, we get to write it off on our taxes. That's not what this is about. For instance, some of you, many of you, I hear this regularly, some of you are prepping for or already taking care of your parents. Your parents are not a 501c3, but you're taking care of them. And you're having to make plans with your finances to take care of mom or dad. God bless you. You know what that is? That's the woman. That's responding with gratitude and love. That's really fantastic. So this is about our whole life and our whole response to being loved as we are and, and God taking us and just loving us and making us into new people. This is about 
I guess another way of saying it is maturity. What does it mean to grow spiritually and what does it mean to grow in maturity? And that's, that's what we want to be. We want to be people who become more mature. It, Paul says it a lot of different ways. One of the things he says is this long thing that's got a bunch of prepositional phrases. He says he wants to grow us into the fullness of the maturity of the stature of Jesus. I don't know exactly what all that is. I've looked at it in Greek and diagrammed and everything else. I think it means make us more like Jesus. So each of us is like a snowflake, right? Every one of us is different, but our own snowflake self looking more and more like Jesus. Another place Paul says it this way. He says, when Jesus takes up residence in you, and he calls it the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's maturity. It means we become a little bit more like Jesus. This woman is going to be a little bit more like Jesus the rest of her day that day than she was before this encounter she has with him where he lets her express her lavish gratitude. So I thought I would suggest to you a few things. We, we've talked about these for years, and I, I'm just going to remind you of them. What does it mean to be, for you and me, in joyful, lavish response, a follower, a mature follower of Jesus? Well, it means this conceptually. It means shot out of a cannon, and Paul calls it being compelled. First, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, Christ's love compels us. Right? I want you in your mind an image of the, of the launch. And he's saying, because we've been loved, we launch. It's not our motivation is response. We are, it's the why we give. It's the why we love. It's the why we go do things. It's why we come out here and work to fill a trailer full of stuff. It's because we've been loved first. And that's Paul saying it conceptually. And I want to say it now in some real kind of um, granular ways about how you and I can measure what it is that we can be thinking about our lives and how we sort of do an inventory. And we, we want to think about being mature in the sense of being an adult. So here's what a mature followers of Jesus are trying to be and what we're trying to do. And here's a way for you to begin to sort of maybe measure your own maturity and look for your next best step in one of these areas. I got three or four areas. The first one is simply like I did sitting on a rock when I was 18 years old, choose to become a Jesus follower. So if you're online or you're in the room and you're not a Jesus follower, I'm inviting you right now. Just start. Say, I want to be a follower of you and I'm inviting you to take over my life lavishly just falling on at his feet like that woman did but I'm going to say we can we can choose to follow Jesus and then we can we can connect we can invite and invest we can serve and we can give so let me say a few things about each of those and in a minute we're going to be real quiet for a while and I'm going to give you some time we don't do this enough and we're going to have some time to just be quiet and reflect. And I'm going to lead it from right here. But that's what you're going to do in just a second. Here's the outline that you can work with. What, what do I mean by connecting? What I mean by this is we want to connect to God. And we want to do that in a private or personal or individual way. And I call mine a quiet time. So I get up in the morning and I, I read scripture and I listen. I got all these cool tools. Go to version, the Bible app. Just go to version and use it. You, you won't be able to get out of there. It'll take you a long time. You'll have a blast with it. I want me and I want you to want to connect like this, to gather on Sundays and sing and have a good time. Have a good time. There's a third way of connecting, and that's to be on purpose in a group. You might not be in a group. One, your next best step for growing in maturity might be to say, I need the people who are also trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. I'm going to on purpose join one of these groups that Fitz and Kathy will not shut up talking about. You know why I talk about it? I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. You will grow when you share your life in meaningful ways with brothers and sisters. Lots of different groups that meet all over the place. If you're wondering if there's one for you, call me, call Kathy, call McLean. We'll get you hooked up. Connecting one-on-one -on -one with God, connecting like this to sing and celebrate, connecting in groups. So connect, that's one thing we can do. Another thing we can do is serve. And what I mean by that is giving of your passion and your talents and your capabilities and doing it where you live, in your home, doing it where you work, doing it where you socialize and recreate. And what you're doing is you're more intentionally taking a, a clear awareness of your gifts and abilities and you're using them to help somebody. And you probably don't have to add anything to your life. It may just mean that you're starting to say, wait a minute, God, you made me able to build the railing to expand the capacity of my trailer so that I can get more stuff in it so I can haul it to, to Cape Coral, which is what Tim, Tim is gifted that way. 
and he uses his gifts on purpose to help people. He's a servant. So you can serve, and you're on boards, and you give your time in the community. You're already doing it. I'm just inviting you to see it as your Christian response in lavish gratitude and love and to be in love first. Think of your giving in the community as your way of giving back to Jesus because you're already doing so much of it. I think, I think very few of you aren't actually engaged in some kind of story. It could be taking a meal to your next-door neighbor who can't cook for him or herself, or it could be you're the chairman of some board and everybody knows your name and everything in between. But when we serve, it's a response. So we're connecting, we're serving, we're giving. And what I mean by giving is money. So I don't need to say anything else about that. That's another mature thing that people do because you want to make a difference and you want it to amount. And the last thing is inviting, or say it differently, bring a friend. You have a friend somewhere in your life, in your home even, it could be in your work, it could be in your social life, it could be at school, a person who you care about, and but you know is far from God. You can bring that friend to something that's non-threatening, like your house to watch a football game, or to trunk or treat this afternoon, or whatever, and you just think more about the people who are already your friends, and you invest in them with more intentionality, so that you become a, grati a gratitude-filled person who wants this other person to know you care about them, and you go out of your way to communicate it. Sooner or later, sooner or later, something in their spiritual life will bubble up. I'm just telling you, it will. If you really genuinely care about somebody and they get to know you, they're going to find out about you and something will bubble up and they may ask you for a little direction or suggestion or whatever. So those are the four things. It's, it's, it's connecting. Maturity. Mature people connect on purpose. Mature people serve. Mature people give. And mature people invest intentionally in people who are their friends. That's a way for you to know if you're moving forward. And you know what? It's all about being grateful. So here's what we're going to do now. We're going to take a minute, and I'm, maybe two, maybe three, and I'm going to ask you to just, in a minute, close your eyes, not yet, but I'm going to ask you to connect, serve, give, invite, and invest. Those are the four things that I want you to be thinking. God will put one good next step from one of those four things on your mind right now in your heart. So let me, I'm inviting you to just take a breath, close your eyes, and I'm going to give us a chance to think a little bit more and pray, and I'm going to direct a little bit of our prayer. So please pray with me as we think about wanting to be more mature, grateful, shot out of a cannon and launched followers of Jesus. Let me pray. Gracious God, we are your children, your sons and daughters. So we're stopping now. We're going to run a little inventory. Maybe we begin to follow you. Maybe we're choosing to connect with you individually, with Sunday gatherings, with groups. Maybe we're rethinking our service in such a way as to see it as our grateful response to you. Maybe there's a friend we want to invest in in a slightly different way and find ways to get them into places where conversations about you are a little more obvious. We're going to all pause right now, gracious God, with gratitude and think about how you want to take us on a next step in some way as to grow us into more mature Jesus followers. It is your extravagant love, gracious God, your forgiveness, your surprising grace. We're overcome. 
help us to model the simple, transparent, open response of this woman. We want to be like her. We want to be shot out of a cannon grateful. We want that to be our attitude. And we'll just be radically giving, radically, radically generous with everything we are. Thank you, gracious God, that we get to do this together in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. time.